Hey guys, Frank from Sniper's Hide here, just back from the Gunworks Monster Steel Challenge. Uh, had a drive home yesterday, took me about seven hours door-to-door from Cody to Denver. All went well. I uh, want to talk about the match, lessons learned, uh, what's going on. Big shout out to Gunworks, uh, Phil uh, and uh, Kalen there. This was their first match they were match directors with. I don't know if it was Kalen's first time, but definitely Phil's. And um, great team up there at Gunworks. Uh, really like working with those guys. I really like the direction they're going because they were always known for that hunting rifle side of things. And as they start moving forward now, they're getting into the competition side, a bigger emphasis with Phil and Kalen with the um, training and, and bringing in guys with Marine Corps backgrounds. Of uh, Phil Vallejo, in case you guys don't know, was a scout sniper instructor. Uh, Kalen, everybody knows his background and, and just his his pedigree. Uh, you know, originally came over Magpul and stuff like that, another Marine Corps guy. So we're all pretty simpatico when it comes to our philosophy behind this. And the philosophy differs just enough to make it interesting and to really make it a well-rounded event. Um, I mean, just from the start to the finish, everything went great. As I mentioned in the pre-workup before the match started, I did have that one load that popped the primer, broke that second bolt on me. So Friday, third round in, popped the primer with the hand loads, which again, you know, I, I ended up going right to prime. No big deal. Had the fallback ready. I pulled the bolt out of the 20-inch Tika, put it into the 22-inch Tika. And, 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 you know, I knew that was a possibility because that hand load was made for the other rifle. But I wanted to use the, the same rifle. I switched scopes from the Colville match. But I wanted that same barreled action because I knew it was working good. It was coming into its own really well. And so I switched over to a Night 4 7-35. Awesome optic. Really worked out great for me. Here's the clue with the 7-35 uh, with me. I didn't shoot this match over 15 power. Like, not at all. In fact, a couple times I went down to 10. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but magnification's great for paper and things like that. But in these field matches and the different kinds of matches, I like less power. I stayed right around 15 and didn't go over that much. But Friday showed up, one of the first guys on the range, there was like three or four guys there, plus the Gunworks crew, said hi to Carrie, who came over from Beretta. Her and I had a bit of a laugh about Beretta and the Tika and the things like that. But she's now with Gunworks, which I think is a huge step up. Uh, glad to see her there from the marketing side. So any of you insider people who know um, Carrie, who who was on that side, she she's there. And then got together with Phil and um, Kaylin, checked out the rifle, double-checked my data. I wasn't sure if the Kestrel's data was still good, but I double-checked it. It was money. You know, right on, didn't have to change anything when I got there. So the, the the homework I put in with the Kestrel paid off. A lot of adjusting with the BC and I didn't use their truing. I did it myself via BC and not via muzzle velocity. I found it worked out perfect even in changing conditions throughout. Came straight up from Colorado to there. DA was pretty close, maybe 500 feet off, not much. But um, all in all, good stuff there. So I was able to get done early. Um, right off the bat, when we got our match booklets, really, really liked the way they did their match booklet. Little tiny, you know, three, four inch spiral bound. The rules, the general information, 
Everything was in the book. Your schedule was in the book, where you had to be and what was going on. It was well made and clear. You got your sponsors and stuff on the backs. You got not only a place for notes, you have a place to keep your score for every stage. So you knew exactly what was going to happen. I then took the time. I went and sat down in the range house while they were bringing in new shooters. I took the time to put all the data from the booklet, because I got it on Friday, into the downrange system of eDope card, right? Had their software on my Google Pixel, put in all the numbers using that uh, information. And then all I had to do for the match is I was in squad one, started on stage one, ended on stage 20, just normal. You know, I just had to go over with my phone, pull up stage one, touch it to the e-dope card. Everything was there. All that data was good. Now, there was two stages. You had to default to non-electronics. You had to go back to your handwritten dope or your dope sheet. No problem. I had that in my arm bar. So on the top of the arm bar, I had the e-dope card. Inside the arm bar, I had my data that was set up for when those stages required. Um, there, there, there was a, like, where do I start? But there was a, a, I told Aaron, I talked to Aaron Davison who runs gun work and he's the boss. Great dude, real smart guy, um, on, on so many levels, not only from the software standpoint and, you know, what's going on in the industry, but he's looking at some of the things the industry's currently doing and thinks it's time for a change. And I'm not going to get too deep into it, but we agree, man. We're all on the same page, which is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm I got behind and went to the Gunworks match because I think the changes they're making, the the crossover they're doing between hunting, tactical, and competition are in the right direction, in the right way, um, you know. And then the guys they brought in, how could you not but support them? But I, I spent several different times talking with Aaron on a variety of products. And, and, you know, I don't see any daylight between where they are and where I am. And, and you know, that's kind of a cool thing to see because it's not often that that happens, you know. But going to the match, I started on stage one. Uh, equipment, I, I'm honestly going simple, man. I use the SkyPod. Uh, I, I like the SkyPod, but I'm mixed feelings about the SkyPod. Uh, I did jump over to the Thunder Beast uh, bipod a little bit. But I was using the SkyPod the majority of the day. There's a couple minor changes that I would do. And, and, it, and it's a little bit of, you know, two button pushes here, two button pushes there and kind of reaching up. So, I, I, you know, having to manipulate that, it, it, it worked for me. But then I didn't have like the rubber feet and I could have used it on some of the rocks. And there was a spot of concrete. The, the spikes slipped on me. I took a shot. And and in one, I was just getting ready to break the shot. It was like as I was coming back with pressure, the the pinpoint of the spike. And and again, this could be you could say it's my fault. I didn't have the rubber feet, but the pinpoint of the spike slipped, like right when the shot broke. And, and it was so visible. And it just boom. It was like almost a full millet dropped off to the side, to the left of the target, perfectly in line. And, and it, that happened to me two times with that, as well as what I noticed is that the, the legs were really loose coming out. I'd almost want a little bit of deeper contact with the notches for the legs because it's really easy to, for them to move. And, and I did see that a little bit. But overall, 
I like the stance. I like the way it worked. It helped when you go really wide with it. Um, you know, it's a little bit to get up there and because you're dealing with not only widths but lengths and heights, it's a lot of button pushing. So to me, it, I, I had a mixed feelings about the button pushing and then I have mixed feelings about spikes. I'm normally not a spike guy. I do just go with the rubber feet and this time I went almost 100% spike and I see why I'm not a spike guy except on like dirt in different positions. So that's something I, I need to think about that. Me personally, I could do far more with rubber feet than I can with spikes successfully. Um, you know, maybe it's a practice thing. Maybe it's time on, on station with it. Um, but that's just something I noticed on the bipod realm. But I did run the majority of the time the Skypod. Uh, there is a little bit of mangling going on on the pick rail part of it. There's something in that stop. The lock, I like it. I like the way it's, you know, done. But I almost think that that recoil lug stop has to have a change done to it. Because if I show you the side of the pick rail, you could see where it's kind of marring it up. And one of the other guys told me, hey, take a look at your rail. See if it's doing this to it when I was using it. So that was brought to my attention by another Skypod user uh, versus me just noticing it off the bat. And and then it, it sort of slows down the movement when you're trying to take it on and off because I did take it off for several stages where there wasn't going to be a need for a bipod. I removed it and I do like that single button push, get it out of the way. So, um, you know, and again, it might be the... Um, it, it it might be the impetus to move to the really right stuff pick dovetail combination. You know what I mean? Because that's to me works the best. I upgraded a lot of my atlases to the really right stuff. Um, new new mounts and, and and you know there's some other things going on with that that I really like what they're doing as far as that goes. So maybe it's a simple modification to to change it out. But um, uh, Kdex competition light chassis. It's a folder, so it's a little heavier. Um. I carried the Warhorse Saracen and Comanche. I used both. When we did the field side, I used the smaller Comanche. When we did the PRS side, and because our car was right there and there was no walking, um, I uh, used the uh, Saracen, which is the bigger one. Going less with just that worked in my favor rather than trying to get creative. I found using either that bag or just the Comanche was a lot easier to do even in 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 multiple position stages like on some of the rock stages on the second day I just carried the um Comanche with my rifle and when I needed it to support the rifle uh, alone I used the the Comanche then when I went up and transitioned to a bipod I used the Comanche because it's smaller as a rear bag worked out pretty darn well for me um I I I think the floppiness, the the four legs, the square, and the design w was perfect. I, I like it. I like it over a game changer. I think the game changer gets to be a little too pointy in the middle, and it needs to be a little wider. And to me, the Warhorse in the Saracen, as well as the Comanche, will tend to lay flat if you need it be. Like those four legs will sprawl out or sprawl, sprawl sprawl out flat and you can do either side upside down other way sideways I found it worked out really well and it's a 
much more versatile bag. Now, everybody around me had some kind of variation on a game changer, the majority in my squad, and I did kind of play around with those a little bit, and I liked what I had a little bit better on the War Horse. So let's talk day one. Day one was at the Cody Shooting Complex. It was all PRS style, okay? It was a linear square range line, targets out to about 1,130 yards. Actually, I can look and see what that one was. It was like 1130 um, uh, 11.38 and 10.90 were the two farthest shots on the first day. 100 points. And, you know, because this was PRS stuff and it was a lot of, it was two-minute time limits on everything, the first stage I shot below my average. I, I actually had some jitters. I, I thought, now I talked with Scott Satterley and we were going back and forth. I thought it was about two years since I shot a national two-day PRS match. When I talked with Scott, um, he was thinking it was three, that it was 2015 that I shot my last match. So I hadn't shot one, and the local ones have a much slower time limit. I, I don't rush as much. And then with the shoulder and neck deal, I, I wanted to take my time and go slow. So my first stage, I actually had some uh, some jitters. Well, it wasn't overly difficult. It was these round-posted ladder that you had to shoot off of, but it was tall, and, and, and I went slow. I timed out a lot, but not so much where I didn't get my hits. Normally on these stages, I only dropped one point except for the mover, which I tanked up, and I'll talk about that in a second when I get to it. But the first stage, um, just to kind of go into what was the, uh, was the fence post, okay? So it looks like a series of fence posts that go up. The targets were at 360 and 468. Um, you know, it was my first stage, like I said, uh, I screwed up one shot that I did miss. I didn't do the dope because you shot target one, target two, target one, target two. And I was dialing them. Okay. I didn't hold. I could have hold because it was only like, um, a 0.8 variation. And I could have used the center post on my night force, right? Cause it has that 0 0.75, 0.8 gap right there. I could have did that, but I didn't. I took my time and dialed him in. One shot I took without dialing that dope on and missed the target clearly because I didn't put the, the, the dope back on. This match required your head to be in the game. The targets were spread far apart, okay? And you had to identify them among a field of targets. I talked with Phil on, on, on Monday after the match. Uh, I, I left Cody. I didn't leave Sunday. I left Monday. I had breakfast with Phil, and we talked about a lot of it. Great dude, man. Like I said, I, I can't, I can't kind of sing his praises enough. The, the the dude is totally in line with the fundamentals, man. He's totally uh, gets what's going on. I think he, I think he's a smart guy, and 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 he's somebody to watch in this industry. But um, I said to him, I said, uh, you know, there were so many targets out there because you had ten stages with a minimum of of, of you know two targets on most of them that you had to identify from. So it was every bit as important to identify your target. One of the reasons why my power was back down so much and moving and manipulating position to position. And it's not hard to lose them. That's what happened to me on the mover stage. Uh, besides kind of kinking my back and neck a little bit on that one, I, I thought I would be in a better position than I was. And I got twisted up and man, did that hurt? And did I screw that stage up? But my first stage, get the nerves out, I shot I shot 40%, which was, you know, wasn't where I wanted to be, but it was okay. It was like, my goal, don't zero a stage, right? 
get to the creeper van and the creeper van was a great stage. It was a blind stage and you didn't know what was going to be in the van. And when they moved you out, they moved you to the other side so you couldn't come back and talk to your squad. Smart stuff. And what it was is the way the first target was, you couldn't see it until you got into the van and got up off your belly. And you had to be kind of all the way to the right. And then you can go back and prone. So I brought my tripod in, not knowing what to find. I brought a game changer and the tripod in. And another plus for Phil, setting up. All your equipment had to be set up on the clock. So your tripods and all that had to start from the full folded up collapsed position. Anything you brought had to kind of be in its natural state. You know, of course, bags are bags. No big deal. But tripod wise, you had to set them up on the clock. So I got it up right where I needed to be on the clock. Got my first shot. I did pretty well. I averaged about, well, at the end of the day with the two kind of lower scored ones, I averaged uh, 50% on the first day of the PRS events. I didn't push the time limit, okay? I I took my time. I got my hits. I ran out of time a lot. Like I said, I didn't want to hurt myself. And, and even I had Lance, uh, Lance from Prime. It was in my, um, in my squad. Lance works for Jim and Prime. And he's a chiropractor. At the end, he took me into the team house and he did a check on my neck because I had I was taped up. I had the KT tape on, but at the end, he's like, "Hey, let's take the tape off. Let's see what you got going on back there." And he checked me out, and it was he thought it was a lot worse than I was giving it credit for. He, he felt I had a nerve issue um, in my neck as well, and then he saw a problem down at my lower back. He ended up giving me an adjustment, which helped a lot, you know, because I was feeling it after the mover stage. I tweaked it, man, pretty bad. And um, that was what I was afraid of. Hurting myself early on the PRS style stages, but then, you know, moving on to the, the, the field stuff where it was a lot more prone, a lot more, you know, a lot less movement in a lot of ways. You know, I didn't want to be wrecked for that. But I shot 50 to 60% on average, and I ended up score-wise exactly at 50%, which is where I kind of wanted to be, not not sweating the PRS stage as much. Like I said, I didn't really care, but I wanted to kind of go through. Um, again, I, I, I like the, the, the creeper stage. I, um, you know, there was some other ones that I think went out a long distance one. I did really well on, um, I, I did some good ones. I'd have to look up my scores again. I probably should stop a second and grab my scores up so I could tell you, but hang on a minute. Okay. So, um, Stage nine was my best stage for that. So I averaged six, I averaged 60 on most stages. So I shot 60% most stages um, without trying and normally timing out. I think I averaged eight shots, but I wanted my hits. I wanted to get my hits. And I tanked, like I said, I tanked a couple of my two threes um, that the mover stage messed me up. And then uh, I had one that that actually, if you saw the picture on Facebook, the tank trap got me time wise, especially uh, I got my three hits, and then I had to jump all over the tank trap to reach. It was a little bit over my head. Uh, so that was m- like my other worst stage besides the mover. I had those two stages that were that way. But, I, I, I um, you know, overall, the the last stage was my my uh, nine stage, I guess, was my best stage, uh, getting a nine. And, and so, you know, for me, kind of not doing the PRS stuff like that, for me wanting to go slow. But here's a clue here with it. 
the simpler I went, the better it was. And the more I moved through, the less I started to worry about and going right to the Saracen bag. You know, put the Saracen bag up, let it balance in the middle, get the shots off, and I ended up doing pretty well. Now, there's some tricky wins in Cody, Wyoming there, especially day two. The winds were pretty crazy. So there, there was this identify your target aspect of it, and they're spread across almost the entire length of the stage. You may be all the way on the right side, and have a target all the way on the left and then have to make your way all the way to the right. And then, like I said, there was a wide spread, like on the barricade. The barricade stage, I think, was the one I shot the nine. You had three targets sent and you had to shoot them in order. That was a big thing. I, I, I kept joking with Aaron. You guys are making me think too much. You're making me think. I'm constantly having... If you didn't pay, like, I, I socialize a lot. I'm talking with everybody. I'm coming up last minute. I'm not really... You know, where's the targets? They're diamonds right there. Okay, that's it. I got it. Then I'd walk away. Then you come up and you're ready to shoot. And you're like, oh, shoot, where were those targets? And now they're shot up even more. And when they're shot up, they're hard to identify because the paint's off of them. And so they don't stand out as much. So I found, you know, in order to do well with this, you really had to have your head in the game. And my sort of social nature works against me in a lot of ways. When it comes to these events and, and part of my mistakes were identifying where the targets were or getting on target quick enough because I didn't burn the reference points into my brain well enough. You know, the nice thing with like that barricade or the, yeah, the barricade stage with the three targets, you had to shoot left, center, right, center, left, right, right, center, left. You know, you always had to think. So when on your one side of the barricade, left, center, right, when you're in the middle of the barricade, center, left, right, and when you're on the right side of the barricade, right, center, left, you know, so it was clear for me there, but there was other stages similar to that where I didn't have my reference points, and it was like, oh, shoot, where's that target again, and I lost a lot of time looking, which is why my power was down a bit, and so I other people had some identification, and I talked to Phil, he was thinking about maybe making the, the, the stands and the posts a little bit brighter so it doesn't knock the color designator off because a lot of these targets are determined by color and they don't go out and repaint them and they get shot really well and all that. But, um, you know, it, it, it was good. It was good to kind of get my feet wet and get back into it. And I know feeling better, I could have went faster. I just, like I said, I wanted those hits and I was fine with 50%. I, I, I kind of said that was my goal personally while I was there and and I I know I could have done better in the 60 and 70 percent if I pushed it a little bit more um but I didn't and and I think that was smarter and made a big difference for day two for me which I'm going to get into but now I want to keep on going with day one a minute because a a funny thing happened and honestly I say funny and, and I mean that in two ways Funny where it was, it was, it was funny to me, but it was, um, it was interesting because it's never happened yet. And this was the first guy to do it. So I, I'm going to go give a little bit of shout out on the PRS side of things here and what's going on. So match is about over. I shoot my last stage and I'm going over in front of this door and I'm all the way on the other side to get my kit and standing there right next to my gear waiting for me is John Pinch. Now, John won the match. Congrats to John. He, he, great guy, great shooter, you know, all that. First time I met him. But he's there waiting for me. And as I go over to pick up my stuff, and he's like, first thing he says to me, never met the guy, had to ask him his name. And he's like, what are you doing here? 
And I'm like, uh, shooting a match. And he's like, no, you hate PRS shit. What are you doing? I don't think he swore. So if any, if there's any swearing, it's, it's probably my interpretation. I don't believe he swore at all. So don't take it as him being that, but he was direct and straightforward. And I really appreciate that. I think that's something a lot of these guys are scared to do. Confront me. Well, he confronted me. What are you doing here? Why are you here? You hate this stuff. All you do is put us down. Do you think we all cheat? But, but you know, all the, are, are we cheaters? Are we this? Are we this? Right? I said, no, you know, I gave my thing. And I said, listen, man, I don't like what, where the direction of this went. I don't think you're all cheaters, but you do play, you know, cross a line and you're happy to do so. It's, it's, I look at it where I feel their attitude is it's them against the match director instead of them trying to outshoot each other. And believe it or not, I'm not going to rehash all of it because we were going at it pretty good, pretty loud. People were commenting when they walked by like, hey, man, what's going on? And it was actually all good, but you know how I talk and animated and we're we're bickering. I don't think bickering is the right word. We're debating back and forth. We're probably 75% in agreement, okay, on things. And, and we, we both admitted we've seen things at matches that crossed the line or we felt crossed the line sportsmanship-wise, potentially into the gray of cheating and said nothing about it. We, we, we've all done it and seen it. And even he admitted it. I've seen some things fellow competitors have done I don't like. And I said, that is really what I talk about. The fact that you'll see it, you'll not like it, but you won't say anything and nothing gets done about it because the silence is condoning it. And, and we agreed on, on so many levels of stuff with this. And, and it, was, it, was, it was cut short because everyone was leaving and his ride, I think, was leaving. But it was a good positive conversation to kind of hash out where exactly do I stand on this and because I'm vocal and it's funny I'm gonna I'm gonna go in another direction here with it but in the same half of them think I'm irrelevant and it doesn't matter what Frank says and screw him and we don't care and all this other stuff well then you get him coming up and he won the match he's 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 in the I think he's a top two shooter right now in the series wise numbers he feels my megaphone is so big, it has an impact that people aren't coming to matches because of things that I say. And it's like, well, which am I? Am I re- irrelevant or do I carry a, a, enough weight to sway things when I speak? So you can't have it both ways. You can't run around and put me down and, 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 and say th- certain things about me, then be upset when I speak out and it affects your bottom line. And so there was there was some discussion on that, and 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 that was cool, and um, you know, again there was some things, and it was like he he actually pressed me to name a name of somebody who's cheated, and when I said it, and I'm not gonna go into public, I said it, I came out, he had to agree, he had to admit he's seen it and talked about it and knew what was going on and felt that while those things might have happened, they weren't happening anymore and I kind of corrected him on something that I saw recently like within the last two months and he was like well you know that's a bit of gray and it's like yeah but we're right back to where we started with a bit of gray and and that's where it is it's that it's that to me it's that 10 to 15 percent that are dancing on the wrong side of the gray 
They're kind of into the marbles. You know what I mean? If you're in a NASCAR analogy, they're up in the gray and into the marbles. They're going to wipe out and hit the wall if you let them. But the thing is, nobody's saying anything. So, but it, it was it was a good conversation. We we walked away. I I, I would hope, because we talked the next day too, so I would hope with a mutual respect of the directness of each of our discussion. And the, like I said, I told him straight up, I said, dude, you're, you're the only one who's ever said anything. And he goes, well, you don't go. I said, but I did. And I mentioned when I went down to Mill Creek, when they were all there immediately after I wrote the Jersey letter. And he said, yes, I remember seeing you there. And he goes, I remember seeing you talking with Vibbert and talking with Brian and all this. And I said, yeah, I was there. Nobody said a word. I said, they didn't bring it up other than the few people who laughed and said it was funny and got what was going on, who thought, you know, typical you know, unfiltered Frank. There was a few of those who kind of gave me the, 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 the wink and the nod and the nudge, kind of like, yeah, dude, we get it. But the majority of them who hated it, who, who have a thing against me right now because of it, said nothing. And him coming up and waiting for me was cool. But yeah, it, that worked out. So then the next day, we'll get back to the match now. Next day, switch it over. We go to Monster Lake, and it's a field match. It's got sort of the field vibe. All the an- all the targets are animal targets and hunting. Targets go out to 1,200 yards now. Big wide strings. Find them. You got to range things. You, oh, not range, but you got to do stuff. It was, it was really fun. I gained, I shot, I dropped on one stage. The last stage, I screwed up completely. I, I didn't pay attention. I was in social mode again. I was getting ready to leave. I ran down the hill without looking. I screwed up stage nine, which or 10, which wrecked my curve. But I shot, I averaged eights and nines on stage two in the field side. I was doing really well, and I ended up increasing my standings and points. What it all filtered out is I shot 50% on the PRS side, I shot 75% because that last stage knocked me down pretty bad um, on the uh, field side. But I was actually, reality-wise, if you take out that one stage that I messed up, I averaged about 85% on the field course. My dope was money. Even at these long distance, the whole thing, the left-hand gain twist, worked like a charm. I let off. Uh, uh, Phil shoot it on Friday and I said shoot it off your belly don't shoot it on the ground he shot it off a tripod from the sitting he felt it he can feel the recoil coming back and the way the pulse stays on target now it's funny like we, we, going back to John Pinch who won the match he brought his uh, six dasher over for some of the guys in my squad to look at and he has all the MPA weights and everything he's looking at like an 18 pound six dasher that's what these guys are doing to get this competitive advantage with these calibers and these things. These rifles aren't moving, man. Four, bo- four port muzzle brake, six, 18 pound rifle with the weights all put in it, long barrels, the whole thing. You got to be in shape to move these things around effectively, but they don't move once they're on target. So you can just, once you're there, it's boom, 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 you know? So that's where I kind of fall apart with the, you know, hauling the, the rifles around during the, the movement of the PRS stuff. Now, in that field stuff, my scores were, were, were much better. So when we go over to, um, let me see where the other side, not that one. That's the wrong one. Hang on a minute. I'll get it in a sec. Okay, so yeah, if I go over here, it's like stage 10, you know, it, it was like... Uh, uh, 11, 9, 12, 9, 
uh, 13, 9, you know, out of 10 kind of thing. 14 is 7. Then I had one bad stage, which was the range finding. I ended up running out of time. Weird with that. was I don't know what happened with the range finding stage. I had the numbers great. I went through, and it just seemed like the clock ended on me. I shot a three, so that was my bad stage on the field side. I honestly don't know how the time got away from me on that stage like it did. I, I, I used the Vectronics Terrapin X. It was right on. Everything was good. I wrote the numbers down quick, and then I got my data, and, and I was engaging the third target, and I just ran out of time. I, I was just like six inches off of it my first shot, transitioned over, and I had four shots to take on that, and it was out. Time was gone. So I don't know quite what happened on that one. Um, but then, you know, I'm back to eight. I'm back to seven. Back to nine. Another 10. And then my last stage, I tanked, um, you know, clean stage nines and tens. So I, I average wise throwing out that one bad stage, not the ranging stage. You can keep that three in there. But my, my, I had two bad stages on the field craft, but everything, I only dropped one point on the majority of them. And, you know, the, the field stuff was easy and it was, it was far targets. Like I said, the 1200, I had all round hits on the 1200. So that worked out really good. Um, you know, that, that stage, I think I cleaned. Uh, what stage did I clean there? That was the long one. Uh, drawing an elk. Yeah, the elks were tall. So I cleaned the elk stage, drawing for an elk. The ranges were 950, 1076, and 1263. Shooting 130 grain primes out of the left-hand gain twist, I cleaned the stage. So everything, you know, the shortest target was 950, 1076, 1263. Cleaned it with three, uh, 10 shots. So 10 shots at uh, those three targets, clean stage uh, at the farthest distances of the match. So I felt really good about that my, with my data, with my wind calling. The wind was interesting in those canyons and hills. We had, um, if I remember right, it was like the 950 was like a, a half mil hold to the right. And the wind was actually coming from... Um, you know, you hold, you held the opposite direction. It was where it was coming from. We held to the right, and it was coming from the left. Then I held 0.7 on that other one, and then the 1263 I held on. No wind. It was in the hole, and weird how that worked. But I, my wind stuff worked out really great. All the information we're giving you on the wind was valid. Um, we had Bo in my squad shooting a 308. He was using that same stuff with the wind formula wise. He did well. Top LE, top military guy. Shot really well with his 308. You know, not too far down the list as far as things go. But, um, you know, that, that just worked out really well doing the win the way we've been talking about. And I'm not going to rehash all the win stuff. But I'm just going to say in the field stage, it worked. It, it, it was definitely. And we had, the, we had two, at least two fronts come through. It rained two or three times with these fronts twisting the wind. The morning, the wind was really well in our favor. As the afternoon came up, we had a front that twisted it and reversed it, and then it happened again. So you had to keep up on the wind. My last stage, I just tanked. I screwed it up. I was, like I said, I, 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 I was not in it. And um, it, it should have been a give me stage for me, and I blew it. I would have probably gained another three spots on the standings. If I didn't blow that, but, um, you know, that's what I get for socializing and sitting and bullshitting more. You, you really had to think. And, and the interesting thing was even like the game guys, the, the, the Jersey shooters and stuff, they would come over and, you know, while we're shooting our stage and they're behind us, 
They're setting all their equipment up. They're coming and spotting behind us. They're watching everything we're doing, and they're racing through their segments, coming over to the next one to get a leg up. In fact, one of the RO girls like actually chased them off because they crowded in. In um, one of the ROs, she was she was good enough that she didn't know who any of them are, and she wasn't intimidated by them. She backed them off. She's like, "You guys, this ain't your time yet. Get out of here. You're in our way. Move." And 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 that was really cool. But it, it also afforded me to sit down and talk with Scott Satterley. We, we talked a little bit about the conversation with John Pinch, where the things stand today. And, and it's funny because one of the conversations he asked me is, is this a pro sport or is this a hobby? And it's a hobby. You're not getting paid for it. And then we talked about you know selling stuff off the prize table and how it's a necessity for him. And, and there's a difference of opinion. Does it help the manufacturer when they sell it off the prize table or does it take away from the generosity and the giving? And, and I presented my side of things like, you know, the single image of you being a top guy taking that product off a prize table. Okay, call your name. You go up. You get the product off the prize table. You stand there and pose for it. They take three pictures then one of them goes to the manufacturer and says, this is the guy who won your stuff. Well, if you just turn around and sell it, it, it it's gone. It, you didn't. They can't go and say the top guy is using our stuff because you're not going to switch from company A to company B. You know what I mean? Just because you took it off a prize table. But he needs that money to pay for his 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 hobby. And, and you know, he says, well, how does that change? And I kind of said to him, that ship sailed. You can't. You know, you got however many, 350 Superfly dudes from one series, another 200 Superfly dudes from another series, all with their handout. You got this two series with their handout. So that, and you know, and like PRS wants 50 grand to sponsor the series. Then you got 50 matches with their handout. How do they get a return on investment with that? And I have answers for it. Not gonna tell, and I gave him a suggestion. I'm not gonna say it out here because I'm not gonna fix their problems for him. That like they don't. And what he didn't, I think a little bit of a light bulb went off. But what he didn't get is just how much over the years I tried working with these guys and giving suggestions and talking about this, trying to find solutions to some of these problems. And like I said, it might be a 10% problem, but if you have 100 people in a match, that's 10 people. If there's 50 matches, that's 50 times this is going to happen. You know what I mean? Or whatever, 500 times. Or if, 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 if we put it all together, if there's 50 matches with 100 people and there's 10% of a problem, that's noticeable, I guess, without trying to do math. I'm not going to do mental math. My brain's broke. Um, you know, 500, 5,000, 5, you know, 50, whatever the case may be. But whatever, it's noticeable. That was part of my point. And what are we doing in return? How are we giving return on investment back? You know what I mean? And there is a way to do it. And and yeah, I get it. You got to take a $2,500 scope you got off the price table. You're going to sell it for $1,500 to $1,800 to get a quick sale out of it. And that's going to pay for your hotel, your air flight, whatever the case may be. But it doesn't do the manufacturer any favor. And, and, and they do have an opinion that, that they are doing them a favor. And I just don't agree with that. They think that by selling it to somebody at a discount who wants it and was who's able to buy it, they're putting it in the hands of somebody. But that's 
they still bought it. They're not going to go and promote Leopold because they still bought it. You know, and 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 there there is a fix for that. I know what it is. So that's kind of where we were in that that kind of 20-25% disagreement part. And it's probably and Scott Satterley said it's probably less than that. Scott thinks it's a 10 to 5% we disagree on. And listening to the conversations and, and having these conversations, they recognize there's a problem. They recognize the need to fix it. The problem is you have the, the, the groups on the ground in the series on the top, and none of them are meeting in the middle. There's no contracts in place. There's no code of conduct being enforced. Tax the guy. If, if, you, if you knew... He was going to lose, say, 10 PRS points for bullying an RO or for doing something that he shouldn't have done that maybe touches in that gray. You'd probably be more likely to say, hey, man, that's that's not right. That's a 10 that's a ten point fine. You know, I mean, even they, they like to equate themselves to NASCAR a lot. NASCAR penalizes people every week. NASCAR taxes them when they do something wrong. When they dance in the gray area, even hundreds of thousandths of an inch, they penalize them. Does it hurt their ability to overcome the penalty? Not usually, unless they do something wrong. And we know, we talked about the big level cheating. You know, like what happened at Competition Dynamics with the guy with the erasable pen. He's gone. He's never coming back. But there's a lot of little things you can tax where those people, well, maybe they got to shoot another match and spend a little bit more money and go and, and they're not they're not three matches and ready for the finale. It takes them six matches or... You know, it's not five, it's seven because they got taxed. Well, then there you might be less likely to, to bend the gray area, to go outside the lines a little bit. And I liked in the matchbook, it had gear restrictions, you know. Here's a gear restriction. No ballistic software devices, Kestrel phones, PDA, Garmin. If it has a battery, then no. That's a gear restriction, you know. All that kind of stuff. Most of these had no gear restrictions, but some of them did. You know, no ballistics, gear restriction, tripod sling, one bag, pack okay only. So you can carry a tripod, your sling, one bag, or your pack only. That's it. So that's that's clear and easy to do. Another gear restriction here. Bipods may be attached to rifle but not deployed. You can't deploy it. So it, it was pretty simple. One bag, no tripod. There you go. Another restriction. You know what I mean? So... I like that. I like Phil limiting this stuff. I like he had mag changes in there. Make him do a mag. If Phil's listening to this, make him do a mag change. He did it. Make him deploy on the clock. He did it. Spell out the gear restriction. He did it. Make him start back that 10 yards, 5 yards, run up, deploy their stuff, do what they have to do. It really was um, a, 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 a good example of match stages and how to balance it. I think the the field side leveled the playing field for a lot of people. We saw guys, and I had six. Here's, here's another thing I want to bring up. I had six, six first-time new match shooters in my squad. I had six first-time new match shooters in my squad. What gave them the sense of, I like this, I'm coming back, was the field side of things. They were out of their depth with the PRS side of stuff. A lot of them zeroed out a lot. 
Now, I did my best to go up at some point and, and, and help, especially on day two. When they asked on day one, I would go up and we would try to give them some calls. But you really can't on the clock adjust their positions well. You got to give them kind of, you're more trying to adjust their hits and, and help them a little bit. But you on a, on a, in a two-minute time limit, I can't move you around and then have you relocate the target and do that. Now, I could if it was a one or two hit thing, but it's a lot harder. A lot of fundamental problems I saw. You know, why were they missing? Their fundamentals were jacked. They were yanking the whole rifle and moving the whole system from those balanced, teetered places. But on the day two, I was able to help and spot a lot more, a lot more hits on the, you know, if they were start, if they were three hits in, I walk away. But I think what should be done is series guys. I know you listen. You don't admit it. Some of you do. <laughs> Find people like me who go to the match who aren't in the points race, but are typical match shooters. Assign a mentor to them. Let them mentor the people. Let them go and work with them together. In in you're bending the rule to the stance of the RO is just gonna call hits and misses, and he's gonna step back and just let us do our thing and mentor. Now I get the idea that a national level two day match is not a place for new shooters. There's merit to that to a degree. There's so many two-day national-level matches, you have to let new shooters in, and you're going to let new shooters in. There's no way around it. That's why matches aren't filling up. But you intimidate them, and you kind of make it like, you don't belong here, stick to the regional or the local level. Well, at some point, they have to move up. And unless you have a local-level system in place to train people from all these different places, I mean, husband and wife in my squad came over from California, don't really have people they shoot with, they're not around a really good match location that has these kind of matches. There may be only one or two matches in their area, or they may not know about it. They came with um, Michael Hanel from Really Right Stuff, who was in my squad. Great dude, Mike, man. Good stuff coming out of Really Right Stuff. Their move taking place. But he brings them in. They, you know, they're, they're acquaintances. Like, hey, man, get this, come to this, let's go try this. Assign a mentor to them. And like me, I don't care where I place. I'm not shooting PRS points. I don't have a card. But I have shot enough of these matches. I can help a new person. Let me go help them. And Phil did that. If you identified yourself as a new shooter, an RO would call a hit or miss for you and tell you how to fix it. But that doesn't necessarily help you on the obstacle. But they did allow people to help them. And that works. At the end of the day, like John and my squad, John was devastated by stage 15 he was devastated we worked with him he almost cleaned the last stage now granted field course stuff a little different but he came off of that match on a high because by the end of this match he developed an understanding and it takes that much time one match ain't gonna do it for you unless you got somebody who's mentoring you let assign a mentor. Hey man, you've shot 10 of these matches over the last two years. You're not a PRS card holder or you're not in the points race. You're now assigned to this guy. Because it does take a little bit away from your preparation and your stuff. You're going to notch down a, a point or two. 
a spot or two by helping other people because you got your brain in with them. Then you're going to go and jump in with you, you know, and so you're you're playing two sides here and, and it's not as easy as it may seem. But do it, man. And, and Phil, I'm not going to bust uh, uh, Gunworks' idea. Watch what they're going to do. They got the right idea, and that's because we have a we have a uh, we're, we're simpatico mindset wise. You know what I mean? We're, we're thinking the same. They got an idea that's gonna work, and uh, like I said, I'm not gonna bust it out. There are solutions to these problems. You got to come together, you got to work together, and you got to be willing to make the hard choices and compromise and and call your friend out by name. You know what I mean? You you got to be willing to point the finger and say, so-and-so, I saw it. That wasn't how it was meant to be. That's that's a tax. You know what I mean? You got to be willing to. NASCAR puts more effort in the teams and the driver than they do the venue. Venues have the safer barriers and they do what they have to do. And, and there's officials and, you know, things to make a match run well. These matches already run well. They're already really safe when you look at what's taking place. Okay, safety's always a thing. You need to be regulating the shooter, the teams, how that that interaction with the venue works. Not necessarily, did the match director do this and is he doing that? Because, I mean, really, they're the ones putting in all the dang work, Right? They're the ones doing it all. There's no PRS staff member there. It's them. You know? So start freaking taking care of the guys who are paying you money. They're paying you to regulate it. So it's a it's an it's the playing field. It, it works out correctly for everybody and not for the clicks. You know, it can't be a case of clicks protecting clicks. So that's all. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna but I really, like I said, I dug the field matches, I dug the, the ones that this stuff. Uh, the, the the distance on the target, the, the venues allowing you to swing wide, man. That identify, locate. Which, oh, one of the stages I did like was, and, and that was the elk stage, is the fact that I cleaned. You you had a run up, stick your hand in a box, and there was a photograph of a through the scope photograph of the elk, the, the target, the actual target. And it was a through-the-scope photograph. And then you had to go up to your rifle and find which one that was based on background, terrain, whatever. Engage it, run back, pick up a new one, go over, shoot it, go back and get another one. And then the last one, they just let you kind of pretend to put your hand in the box because by then you knew which one it was. Really cool target identification drill, right? How cool was that? Here's a picture. Look at the background. Look at your target. Figure it out. There you go. I thought that was a great little stage, man. It was it was slick. But now I'm I'm definitely, I mean, thanks to Gunworks and stuff, thanks to everything they did there. Um, you know, all the guys, I saw a lot of Michael Victor stuff. Michael's listening. Uh Night Force Proof, Vortex, really right stuff, Sharofsky, Defiance, Thunderbeast Tab, Manners, Leopold, uh, who else? Short action precision, KRG. Uh, trouse bag, saw a lot of trouse stuff. I use my trouse bag there. My my target indicators, uh, Resner, who does the Game Changer, Magneto Speed, Hawk Hill, um, Callus, you know, all these guys. Really good stuff. There's one more. Oh, Kelby's um, is the other one, and Thunderbeast Kelby's. Yep, I got everybody. 
really great with the with the good prize table. I, you know, I, I gave um I gave the those people in my squad my spot to go up and get something. And it's pretty funny. They call my name. It's like, yeah, man, I don't go up. Uh, here, you go up. You go take something. You can go at so. But anyway, really good stuff. Really good time. I'm looking forward to coming back. I'm looking forward to taking and and watching the the things that Phil in 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 the Gunworks training side's doing. I'm a big fan, man. I I, I really am. Uh, so. Uh, you know, it's something to learn. There, there's, there's fixes here, guys. And, and I'm not just going to give you complaints. I'm going to give you examples of what I think can help. And I might be not right, but there's plenty of people with experience. Like I said, the conversation me and Scott Satterley had, I thought was fantastic. And I think he'll agree too. We were, we were totally on track with each other and we understood what we're looking at. And it's like, well, how do you get the, the shooting, the, 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 the shooter side and the series side and the match director side to all come together to work with this together instead of, you know, this Superfly group over here, this, you know, group by themselves over here, and then the series just kind of kicking back and letting you do whatever. Hey, give me my scores, you know. You, you got to be proactive, I guess, is the, end, is the, is the bottom line. But again, uh, props to John Pinch for winning and props to confronting me. I thought that was, like I said, I kind of had a chuckle in my in the back of my head. But, you know, we're animated when we talk. But it wasn't ugly. Some people who did saw it thought it was a little heated, but it wasn't. It was all good. Um, and, and, and he was right, man, uh, you know. But we we agreed on a lot, and and, and that was cool. But uh, Cody was cool. We had a good time with everybody. My squad, Serge, George, Bo. Grats to Bo for high military. Like I said, you know, he, he definitely that uh, – Stephanie and Dylan, the two Johns, Aaron, uh, who else is uh, there? My oh Wade, uh, Team Recon Sniper Foundation. Um, uh, who else am I missing? I know I might be missing somebody, but I don't think so. I think I got everybody who was in my squad. Uh, but no, great time, great guys. We had a really good, a, a really good. Oh, Travis was the other one. He hung back a little bit. Travis was the other guy in the squad. I knew I was missing somebody, but it, it was a good time mentor people, help them enjoy themselves, make it a learning experience and, and they'll still get something out of it. You can, you can put blinders on for two seconds to let a new person come up and learn the ropes and not just let them walk away dejected. You know what I mean? If they walk away from a stage, zeroing it out, running out of, they, there was a lot of people who didn't get a round off and this was a two minute time limit. That's not because of the stage and the course of fire. That was due to lack of experience on their part. If we help them two, three hits, slow them down a little bit, under, teach them how to do this, they'll, they'll walk away on a much higher note. You know what I mean? They'll, they'll, they'll come back, and that's what you're missing out on, man. It, it, it's, it's all about taking that time. If you want to go and watch like the top 10, if there's guys who are top 10 PRS guys, put them in a squad and babysit them or whatever. Okay, that's fine. But then let everybody else kind of work their way through. You know, like I said, especially me, I'm not points racing. I'm not signed up. You don't have to sign up to shoot these matches. So you could take people like that and say, help so-and-so. You know, I don't know. I don't know what, you know, you got to mentor them. And until there's a, pipeline that's a verified pipeline to get people to move from local regional to national 
because there isn't one right now, not everywhere, until you have a 100% pipeline from, you know, crawl, walk to run, you have to bring in new people to these matches and you have to help them. All right, guys, I'll talk about this some more. I'll go over some other things. If you got questions about the match, what I did, what's going on, come on to Sniper's Hide, ask me. I'll mention it again. We're running to the hour for this. I don't want to go too long on just one. But um, well, let's talk about it. You know what I mean? Uh, there, there's, I got another one coming up. I got Guardians coming up, Gary and those guys. I'm, I'm going to probably have the same game plan. I'm, I'm going to go mellow. The, the adjustment helped, but it's not like I can't feel it today. I feel it. So I'm going to go slow and get my hits and chug along, man. I still enjoyed myself. It's still a social thing. I still had a good time, even though I shot 50%. Because that was my plan. But I still enjoyed it. You know what I mean? All right, guys. Later.